Welcome to The Good, The Bad, and The Science, the show that breaks down the science of television and movies with a comedian and a scientist. Today, we're discussing homemade astronauts, so I'll ask about building spaceships, spacesuits, and how claiming you're a flat earther might help you raise some money. I'm your host, Ethan Edinburgh, and I've got two wonderful guests joining me today. My first guest is a writer, actor, comedian who's been in everything from The Simpsons to I'm Dying Up Here, and he's the creator of Stan Against Evil. Welcome to the show, Dana Gould. I'm here on Earth. Hello, Dana. Thank you for being here. I, I'm a huge fan of yours. I was listening to your podcast, The Dana Gould Hour, earlier today. Oh, thank you. And before we get started, I, I didn't want to bother you about it then. I barely want to bother you about it now because bothering you seems awful. But since I have you here, I have to ask you what it was like to work on a show that meant a lot to me when I was growing up, The Ben Stiller Show. Everybody that worked on The Ben Stiller Show, Bob Odenkirk, Janine Garofalo, David Cross, Ben Stiller, um, myself, uh, we all were just friends and we all hung out together. And then Ben got a show. So we just kind of hung out in the office. You know, it's <laughs> like it was it was it was just an extension of our social life at the time. Wow. I... Uh, so it was actually one of the most organic uh, work experiences I ever had. It was just like, instead of going to Janine's house, we went to Hollywood Center Studios, but pretty much everything else was the same. And we and we would see George Burns on the way into work because George Burns had an office and he would come in in the morning, full toupee, full suit, come in, uh, have breakfast, read the paper, go home. Wow, that's awesome. I mean, it, it definitely comes through. It seems like a really organic, natural, it just seems like, yeah, a bunch of people having fun with each other. Yeah, and we're all still friends. Oh, and a happy ending. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, great. Uh, I'm, I'm super excited to talk to you today, Dana. I'm so glad that you're here, and I feel the same way about our second guest. He is a senior satellite engineer at NASA who was named one of Forbes 30 Under 30. Welcome to the show, Kenneth Harris. How you doing? I'm happy to be here today. Unfortunately, Ethan, you and I do not have history. This is our first time here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. It is unfortunate. I hate that. But no, it's a, ple it's a pleasure to be here today. <laughs> yeah, it's a pleasure to be speaking with you, uh, Kenny, as you request to be called. Uh, and, and that makes it feel like we're closer and have a history that I'm calling you Kenny already. Yeah, um, definitely, you, definitely. Kenneth is so professional. Yeah, exactly. Which is totally not you. Not at all. <laughs> so you've worked on mind-bending projects like the MMS, GPM, and the James Webb Telescope. So the first question that came to my mind when doing research on you is, do you sleep or do you just nap? You know what's even worse than all that? I also have basically a brand new baby at home. He's 10 months. So I know I really don't sleep. I've perfected the nap. Um, and something I'll get into <laughs> later is the NASA nap. I'm pretty sure they trademarked that. But but it's just it's just a really quick like twenty minute nap or something like that that astronauts use when they're actually on ISS. So I just do that. I just nap throughout the day when 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 possible. But yeah, sleep is wow. sleep is um foreign to me. That's really impressive. Um, and we got to talk about the James Webb for a second. I, I saw the the yeah. the TEDx uh, talk that you gave and and you mentioned yeah. it briefly. But but can you explain to us like what makes James Webb, so awesome. 
So real quick, 30-second pitch is that it's the follow-up to the Hubble Space Telescope, which is really famous from a NASA point of view. Um, and the idea behind this telescope is to, quote-unquote, air quotes, you can't see because the podcast, but see back in time, uh, which is going to allow us to observe um, stars in their initial um, birth, so during the Big Bang and things of that nature. Um, what makes this satellite extremely cool outside of that time telescope type of thing is that it is the size of a tennis court when it fully expands. It costs somewhere upwards of $13 billion. Oh and um, it was one of the coolest projects I've ever worked on. But it's like a transformer in space. It goes up there, deploys, and does all kinds of cool science stuff. And uh, it was it was really exciting to be a part of that mission. Yeah, that is absolutely wild. Um, now, in this show that we're talking about, Homemade Astronauts, it seems like everybody on the show is just obsessed with going to space. And and maybe that's, yeah. a, I don't know, common thing for, for people. I don't want to go to space. I feel like it seems really dangerous and a, and a whole to-do. <laughs> okay? But you're a, you're a NASA guy. So I, I have to ask you if you share that obsession. Do you Are you itching to leave Earth? I, I'm interested in going to space, but not doing it myself, if that makes sense. Before we even get into the context of the show we watched, I have no interest in doing it myself. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you want to go the the professional route. You want to go with a let's, team of experts. Let's call it the old school way. <laughs> did you get into your uh, area of study, did you get into it through... Uh, like Star Trek and Star Wars and stuff as a kid, and then you went into the sciences, or did you go it get into it from from being just really super smart, like math and science, and, and went oh. into a discipline that way? Oh man, it's 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 honestly neither because I wasn't really smart when I was younger. I'm not really smart now, but but my dad my dad's an engineer, um, and and I saw a lot of the stuff that he got into, a lot of stuff he did, um, so I was able to emulate kind of his path, and I developed a passion for it, and. And it's a longer story, but um, yeah, that's that's how I got into it. Still love Star Wars and Star Trek. I actually met some some actresses from Star Trek, so it was uh, it's good to be in this field. <laughs> yeah, I bet. I'm sure. So were you like? I bull- saw a T-shirt yesterday that I wanted to buy actually, and it's apparently the new uh, motto of NASA. It's the NASA symbol and then below it their new catchphrase let's get the hell out of here which is the, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the, meat, the nasa meatball <laughs> yeah that's so good came up with that nasa meatball <laughs> that's great. and i saw that they also because i just bought a poster that i think nasa made for mars and it's like a tourism poster where mm-hmm. it's saying like see all mm-hmm. the historic sites of mars um i thought that was a really cool marketing move as well yeah. Yeah, they got a whole series of posts. I think it's like ten of them that they did for for um, Martian exploration. But yeah, really, really cool stuff. I have a I have a patch of uh, ANSA, which okay. is when they when they did Planet of the Apes, they didn't get permission to use NASA, so it's mm-hmm. a- ANSA. Yep. But otherwise, exactly. it's exactly the same. And I have I have a jacket, and people go like, <laughs> "What's that?" <laughs> <laughs> like a misprint. Come again. Come again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Kenny, why didn't you let Planet of the Apes use NASA? What's what's wrong? Yeah, what's that? come on? What's your problem? That was before my time. That was before my time. Weird. The ship doesn't make an elegant landing, so maybe it reflected <laughs> poorly on the organization. Yeah, that's true. If it was a different story about like a yeah elegant landing, then maybe yeah NASA <laughs> would have uh, put their name behind yeah. it. Um, okay, that's all we so. Need for 
I I totally agree and relate. I I with not wanting to go yourself after watching this show. I've only seen episode one. I'm not sure about you two. Um, but number one, I really enjoyed the show. I had no clue that people were doing this. Had you heard about this, Dana? I'd heard about uh, Mike Hughes, uh, but and I heard about Mike Hughes uh, through the his. I I had heard on the news a story about a, a guy that was a flat earther that wanted to go to space to prove that the Earth was flat. Mike has a lot of strange theories, like the flat earth thing. I consider myself a truther, and I question everything. And and the reason I know this is because my oldest daughter, who is uh, studying to be a scientist, she's at uh, Cal Berkeley uh, and is uh, in the sciences, she really wanted to go to the flat earth convention. In, in Denver, Colorado, this is before the pandemic. And uh, and I said, why do you want to go to the Flat Earth Convention? Because we have to fly there, and the minute we take off, we're, we know it's going to be baloney. <laughs> and, and she said, it was about the greatest, she goes, to see how crazy they are and get some Flat Earth merch. Oh. <laughs> some, some Flat Earth you merch. Is great. You can't go wrong with that. You know, it is a catchy story, right? It's a catchy headline for him to say, I'm going to go up to prove that the Earth is flat. I, I can see how that would make Flat Earthers reach into their wallet. Um, but, I mean, Kenny, have you, like, combated this in real time? Have you t- spoken with people who believe this? I mean, how do you even debate that? So... Funny enough, I experienced this before, um, specifically dealing with flat earthers. I gotta be, I gotta be honest, Ethan. I just do not care <laughs> in terms of like when you know they combat me, going back and forth. But I'm just like, hey, you you believe what you believe. I I don't care. But a funny, a funny, quick funny story is I was actually out to eat one time in D.C. Um, it was a bunch of folks from NASA, but actually one of them is an astronaut, an astronaut, right? So we're sitting there, we're having our dinner. The waiter comes over and says, hey, one of my colleagues here, another waiter, is a flat earther. Can you please convince him that the earth <laughs> is not flat? And so oh. so they bring this they bring this guy over and, and he's like, no, the earth is definitely flat. Starts saying his points without knowing who she is. And she <laughs> like takes this picture out of her bag. It's her in her astronaut suit. She like signs it, hands it to him and like explains to him why the earth is not flat because she's like, I've seen it. X, Y, Z, yada, yada. One of the biggest, one of the uh, strongest, strongest points I like to point out uh, for flat earthers are uh, how you can see different stars from different latitudes. And if you basically think of the earth as a pancake or a flat plane, you should be able to see the same stars no matter where you are because you're looking in a certain direction. But based on your altitude, you're able to, to see different things as in the Big Dipper, the Little Dipper, um, the bright orange giant, different stars like that. Um, and if you're at the North Pole, you see different stars than you would at the South Pole based on latitude. Um, so, again, I don't like to really get into it with them. I just kind of nod my head and say, that's fine. <laughs> and and I just let it go. <laughs> when you prove that they're wrong, that just proves that they're right. 
Right. Uh, yeah. He was like, he was like, let's have a, he was like, let's have a follow up conversation about it. Here's my email. I was like, I don't think she's gonna follow up with you. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you know, if I say the sky is blue and you say the sky is green, that's not a debate. I don't need to email you. About I'm that. right and you're wrong. <laughs> you know, Especially if if the first person is an astronaut who has been yeah, exactly. to space. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's wild. Um. Okay. So. Obviously, my my big question here watching this show is what are the dangers involved with doing this, right? Because it seems like yeah. in each of them, we, we're following three different stories in case you haven't seen the show. So there's this guy, we were talking about uh, Mad Mike, who's a stuntman, uh, a guy named Kai, who I think seemed like the most legit, I guess. He had like a little team and they each had their own expertise um, and then a guy named Cameron, who's a, a teacher, who's building his own space suit. That was his kind of whole, right. yeah, plot line. Um, so, but in, in every case, I felt like these are all extremely dangerous endeavors. So did anything stick out to you, Kenny, as like, the, here's the reason why this is, you know, born to fail? I would say the safest person out of all of them was Cameron, just because, you know, he wasn't putting together an explosive and launching himself in it uh you know he was he was he was testing he was testing his suits but at the same time even when he tested his suits he had the necessary person there to help if something did go wrong the dangers involved are you know one of the first dangers is obviously loss of life um you can go you know you can go broke doing that <laughs> you can go broke doing this because of the amount of money it costs to actually build something like that or the systems um you know if you're not careful with the way that you launch this there can be a loss of life to other you know uh just people that are watching or stand by they have no idea what's happening uh and there's certain regulations around stuff like this specifically for nar national association of rocketeers i think um they have different um they have different uh uh categories so they have like a modeling rocket category and they have a high power rocket category and the different regulations that they've worked out with the faa and fcc um to make sure that things don't go wrong but there's a number of dangers involved <laughs> and and uh I wouldn't do it. So with the uh, suit, what? How? How does NASA test the suit? Like I was wondering, you know, because his his testing seems somewhat legitimate. But then I was thinking, there there must be rounds and rounds of different types of tests for these suits, right? And and yeah, and how do you make the seal? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you he know, used like a so impervious to... or like a pressure cooker. It seemed he said that he like cut the bottom off of a of a pressure cooker, yeah. and that's how he made this helmet seal. Yes. And I found these old pressure cookers that hold 15, 20 pounds of pressure. Our pressure is on the order of three to five pounds of pressure. And what I do is I cut off the bottom of the pot, which makes the neck ring, and I cut the center of the lid out and then melt the helmet on top of that. And you would slide it to the side and it would lock on and it was gas tight. So now I'm on eBay picking up as many vintage pre-1970s pressure cookers as I can. That thing didn't even look good enough to cook rice in. It looked like old yeah. restore. <laughs> Normally, if you go out and buy a bunch of pressure cookers, the FBI starts to monitor your behavior. <laughs> yeah. It, it kind of looked, like it, it looked like this guy was like at a at a TJ Maxx almost when he was picking up these rice cookers. There, it was no, there were no yeah. tags on the shelf. There was just two rice cookers on the shelf. It's like, where do you find these two? So, um, so how do you make the seal? Um, so NASA's way of making the seal is obviously a lot more robust, right? So um, actually the, the, the suits were designed, the original suits were designed back in like the 60s. 
Uh, but but if we're talking advanced suit nowadays, you know, we've got CAD models, which is basically like a 3D that you can kind of uh, replicate or things like that. Um, we've got 3D printing, which I don't think the helmets are 3D printed, but there's an option to do that as well. Um, and then with NASA specifically, because you have a, a, a nice size budget, you're able to um, actually custom fabricate these individual seals and things like that. Um, so there was a point where Cameron even said, hey, my suit is this much and NASA suit is this much. And I was like, well, I think the margin is incredibly different because you got rice cookers and they're, you know, they're developing theirs out of, you know, different types of material. Um, so, and, and then on top of that, it's just numerous amounts of tests you have to do, the amount of people that are involved in these tests that help drive that price point up. So definitely, I mean, his suit worked, he got the right values. Um, but, but, you know, NASA's not going to um, put the lives of any of their astronauts in a suit that uh, cost that much, I'd say, just because the amount of testing that it would have to go through to um, qualify. Yeah, that that difference was robust. It was uh, Cameron's suit cost ten thousand dollars, and NASA's suit <laughs> cost twelve million dollars. So yeah. yeah, quite the stark difference. Um, and thank. And you know what they say: the cheap pay twice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's and correct. Another, and one more one more thing to bring up about the suit is that I didn't. I, I don't even know if, if they get into this, but um the thickness of the suit that you have to deal with in terms of uh, micro impacts when you get into space, like anything just randomly flinging into your suit and popping a hole in it, which is catastrophic. I don't know what testing he was doing specifically for that. I'm sure there is testing he could do for that, but that's another thing that they really consider when developing these space suits. I think he got a, a paintball gun from TJ Maxx and he was exactly. firing that at the suit. <laughs> There's also the important thing to talk about is that Cameron is wearing this suit in the wicker basket of a hot air balloon. Yeah. So the one thing that he needed on top of the suit was an old timey top hat <laughs> because he had a he had, he really there was a Phineas Fogg aspect to Cameron's yeah. testing. That yeah. I can think of nothing more terrifying than being in the wicker basket of a hot air balloon. I'm not afraid of heights in the sense of being on an airplane or anything like that. But when it's just open, tell me if I'm if you've ever had this. I was skiing and I was it was an old time ski lift that didn't have a safety bar. And I thought, you know, I'm like 30 feet above the ground. I'm like, all right, I'm not comfortable with this, but I'll do it. And then it goes over a ridge and suddenly I'm 120 feet off the ground oh, no. on a bench. <laughs> an old bench with nothing i was not afraid i was going to fall wow i was afraid i was going to jump <laughs> and this could be an irish thing <laughs> you know it could be but or you're having but, a rough time in your life that <laughs> well no but this is interesting when i you're a scientist. You're, when I tell this story to regular people, they look at me the way you're looking at me now. When I tell this story to comedians, they go, yeah, exactly, exactly, yeah. <laughs> it's too <laughs> it's easy. Like, like, yeah, it's just like, I don't want to end everything now, but in a, in, I, but I don't know when this opportunity is going to present itself again. <laughs> like, I could have a bad week next month and, th you know, I have the opportunity and I didn't take it. <laughs> That's, that's what they promote at that ski lodge. It's like a but that's how I am. Like when you go in these, when I'm in these, you go to Thirty Rock in New York, and you're up in the you know the twenty eighth floor, and the windows just open, and you just keep looking at it like, whoa. <laughs> All right, we're gonna take a quick break, and we'll be right back.
break is over. Here we go back to the show about science. Yeah, I, I, I wanted to ask about the balloons, and I think we have a, a clip as well, because there's a guy with a funny name, Waldo, who is Mad Mike's partner that explains the plan, which originally was to attach him to a balloon. Right out of the gate, Waldo and Mad Mike. <laughs> Waldo is oh one of my favorite characters in this, and he's Same. just casually explaining in the living room to say, hey, we're going to hook you up to a balloon with four individual rocket engines on it, and this is the plan. We're going to carry you 24 to 26 miles in the air. And that's going to be it. I was like, this guy's a genius. <laughs> right, right out the gate. <laughs> this is the guy. And I was like, this is going to be interesting. And then they did the rocket approach instead of the balloon approach. <laughs> was this the one where he wasn't even in the rocket? Where he was just hanging off the balloon? He was just on the balloon. And I was like, good. Good plan. This is. I, I really was interested to see how that was going to work, honestly. Yeah, that was Operation What Could Go Wrong. This is how we're going to get Mike to space. Mike is going to be hanging underneath this thing, and it's going to be going up. The balloon will pull him up 24 or 26 miles, and then these four rocket engines fire for about just under two minutes, and then he'll drop back through the atmosphere. It's just so simple, it can't fail, okay? It's so simple, it can't fail. That was my favorite So line. simple, it can't fail. <laughs> it doesn't seem simple, and I, I mean... I guess if you were going to pull this off, how would it work? Like, explain to me what he was thinking here. Uh, uh, uh. I, can't, I can't do that, but I will explain. <laughs> <laughs> I will explain what I think is going on. Um, so if, you, if, if you're looking at the clip, you see Mike attached to um, what looks to be a balloon. And it's this huge rod in the middle and then four engines around the top. I'm assuming what's in the rod is propellant for the, for the actual um, rockets, which basically means oh, okay. that he's on a balloon strapped to a bomb floating up in the air, which basically is basically right. what it boils down to. <laughs> um, right. And, and so, I'm and it's going to get very hot where he is. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm thinking, I'm thinking that's it. And then based on how high he goes, um, I guess the, the concept of um, re-entry comes into play based on how high you are, how much you accelerate. Um, Cause you know, at, at, at a certain rate, I mean, everyone's seen, everyone, everyone's seen those movies where you go, real high up and you lose consciousness as you're coming back down that mm -hmm. actually could happen if your suit is not pressurized right and then you don't pull your parachute yada yada so i think um uh, it's, it's a few different ways it could work that was my understanding of it when waldo presented it and again i was like that could probably work but again my opinion bad idea but i think it worked the very similar story to this episode and specifically with mike is the uh Evil Knievel's preparation for jumping the Snake River Canyon mm -hmm. on a rocket sled, mm. which which when you see the documentary about it, I forget the name of it, but they factored in the fact that at one point Evil Knievel was going to lose consciousness. It was like factored into the jump. Okay. And, and Evil Knievel seemed to think that he could pull himself out of consciousness. He goes, well, you're going to lose consciousness, but you need to be able to activate the parachute. And he goes, all right, well, I'll come out of it before I need to do that. <laughs> okay, good. Sort of fundamentally misunderstanding the concept of unconsciousness. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't seem like a very good plan at all. Evil. Can I talk to the real evil, please? Seems extraordinarily dangerous, and there's no way to... Just come out of consciousness whenever you please, from what I understand. Tell that to Evil Knievel, my friend. <laughs> I Tell would. Tell that to Evil Knievel. <laughs> Bring him. 
this brings up a lot of stuff. I mean, they also, so like you said, they switched to doing a steam rocket launch, um, which very sadly, I believe, was the thing that ended up killing Mad Mike on February 22nd, 2020. Um, his parachute, I read, like became detached from the rocket. Um, so I don't know if you know about that, Kenny, exactly what went wrong there. Um, I, I just read about it briefly this morning. Yeah. Unless no, that was all part of the plan. It's so simple it can't fail. Mike's going to get killed. Then the rocket. <laughs> they factored it in. I don't really um, know what happened um, in in his stunt uh, in early 2020. Uh, from the perspective, uh, <laughs> from the perspective of a um, a steam rocket dealing with, uh, uh, I guess, I guess how a steam rocket works. Now, how this rocket works is it's got a water tank. We fill the tank with water. When the water gets hot, it develops pressure inside the tank. There's a shaft that goes through the center of the tank. Inside that shaft, there's a plug. When Mike pulls the plug, the hot water goes through the nozzle, and the superheated water turns into steam, and that develops a thrust that pushes the rocket up. So what you've got is is basically you've got a pressurized water tank uh, and you pull the plug on this thing. And basically what I mean by pull the plug is allow the water, uh, which is now hot and pressurized and it's steam, it escapes and pushes the rocket in the opposite direction that the um, hot, hot air is flowing from or the steam is flowing from. And this is through the real magic happens in a nozzle. It's called the Deval, Deval or converging, non-converging nozzle which basically means that the hot gas enters the nozzle it, it looks like an hourglass so imagine an hourglass on its side so the hot the hot gas enters at subsonic speeds flows through the bottleneck of the hourglass shape and it, it builds up it builds up speed and exit at supersonic speeds which allows thrust for the rocket and that's the basic concept of a steam steam rocket shocking to me shocking to me that steam can power something so heavy with a person inside I was I was stunned by that. That that like barely made sense to my very stupid brain. And the yeah. uh, the launch site is to protect the uh, the people near the launch site. It is uh, protected by what what was later determined to be the world's largest tea cozy. Uh, it was crocheted. It was twenty miles in diameter. Um, what happened to uh, the late great Mike Hughes? was the rocket fired, the parachute deployed prematurely. Mm. So although the rocket was still firing, it was firing into the parachute, which was creating excessive drag. The, uh, it it, uh, it uh, started, which affected the rocket's trajectory. Um, Mike ejected, but from the result of his ejection, either... The, his parachute failed or he didn't have a parachute, which would not, you know, it's like they, they knew he would eject. They didn't think about the next thing he would need after he ejected. Um, it's one or the other, but ironically, it was the effects of gravity. Wow. Um, well, I mean, it goes back to exactly what you were saying at the beginning, Kenny, which is that that's one of the main dangers here is, is losing your life. But, but you know, so yeah. I, I guess the, the lesson here is don't yeah. try to build rockets at home, any kind of rocket. That's why I actually liked Kai in this mm. episode, because 
He never put a human being at risk unless you were standing in a field and a rocket landed on you. Um, But uh, which has happened. Uh, We've all seen the Roadrunner. Tragedy of um, the Roadrunner. (laughs) The tragedy tragedy of of it. It's the reason that Kenny doesn't work for Acme. Uh, But Kai commits the the sin of... At one point, the the frustrations mount, and he makes an emotional decision, mm-hmm. uh, where they have uh, a problem with a, a piece of mechanics. Um, the person responsible for fixing it has to leave because it's his anniversary. It's actually happened on a, the moonshot as well. Uh, <laughs> people were late for a movie, and that's why... No, uh, the guy had to go, and instead of scratching the launch, he just went, we're going to do it! We're going to do it! We're going to go ahead and do it! That was his mistake, making an emotional decision uh, in the midst of a of a, a technical conundrum. Mm. Yeah, and the, um, the uh, flip side of that is in, uh, I guess, uh, the the official or professional route of doing it if you know your person's not there you're not doing it you're planning so far in advance that you have a person there and even if that person yeah. gets hit by a bus you have a secondary person that is there <laughs> so typically the only thing yeah. that scrubs launches are mechanical um mechanical concerns readings that are wrong weather is big um so if you miss like your your time pocket where you're trying to get into your orbit uh but we've got redundancies and stuff like that built in so another route of why I am only going to space the professional route (laughs) or the traditional route. That's what I called it earlier. Traditional route. All right, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. The break is over. Here we go. Back to the show about science. I was wondering throughout a lot of this, the legalities of it, because everything seemed like it should be illegal in this show. (laughs) I did not understand how... I don't even get how you make propellant like that. I don't I don't know the ins and outs of it. I don't know what's involved. So, you know, maybe you can tell me that as well. But are are we allowed as Americans to make huge rockets, whether they're steam powered or propellant powered or whatever? Um, so that that's a good question. I will say at, specifically, I do know specifically for the U.S., um, if you are United States citizens, citizen, no matter where you are in the world, you need permission to launch a rocket. Um, okay. This is a part of the, what's it called? The Commercial Space Launch Act. Uh, Commercial Space Launch Act, which is from like the 1980s, 19, yeah, 1980s, I want to say 1990s. Um, but basically the point is you need federal permission to launch a rocket um, from either the United States or if you're a citizen, really anywhere in the world. Um, and that's that's based on FAA as well as FCC, which is uh, Federal Communication Commission and Federal Aviation Administration. Yeah. And so you need you need uh, you need permission from both of them. You don't only need permission to launch a rocket. If you're going high enough, you also need permission to reenter with a reentry vehicle. And if you're going to like ISS or you're docking to something, you also need permission to operate a spaceport. So there's a lot of permissions that you need in order to do this. Um, and one of the biggest things, and again, if you're not even talking about rockets to to go up and visit ET's planet, if you're just talking about a rocket, like in your backyard that you just want to launch, like a model rocket, that's fine. What I mentioned earlier was the um, National Rocketeer, I forgot what it's called, National, um, uh, National Association of Rocketeer. Um, like I said, they have two categories, model rockets and high power rockets. 
Um, model rockets are a lot more, are, is a lot less reserved. And then your high power rocket is going to be anything that has uh, a lift off mass of uh, like one, 150 grams or something like that. Uh, some, something like that. And, and with those restrictions, like I said, you have to get those permissions. You have to, like the launch site can't be near like highways or buildings or uh, there's a lot more stringency around actually putting people in these rockets. I don't even think MTR or NAP or NAR covers that. Um, so there's a lot of legalities around it. I won't really get too, too much into it, but but um, from a legal point of view, there's a lot of hoops to jump through. And finally, finally, there is also a thing similar to when you fly a drone, for example. There's no fly zones for drones. Specifically with rockets, um, there is a certain level of sensitivity that I can't get into on the podcast that comes with trying to launch a rocket because it gets into um, the government being concerned about the reason that you're launching this rocket in terms of safety for individuals and, and stuff like that. So that that's another concern. So this the whole show, the whole show, I was thinking, what's happening here? <laughs> and, yeah. and like I said, I mean, great individuals, but I, I, had, I had some questions. Well, it's interesting. The, the conversation I had this morning before we spoke was about uh, the city of Los Angeles and and uh, what I can only describe as an orgasm of impracticality is full steam ahead on flying cars. Uh, uh, again, uh, as a part of Operation What Could Go Wrong? Because if, if the Internet has taught us anything, it's that when people are presented with a new technology, they always behave excessively responsibly. And uh, the idea of it's I'm not worried about the cars, but the drivers of the cars. There's your uh, there's your there's the issue. Um, and there really has to be a, a policing of amateur pilots. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like because it's because it's not that things will go wrong. It's that when thing that when things go wrong, it's ninety nine percent of the time catastrophic. It's not like if you're driving in the car and you blow a tire or you hit a tree. Yeah, it's bad. Uh-huh. Odds are you're not gonna die. Um, but you get off the ground. It's over. It makes it. Yeah, it's it's over. Wow. Yeah. I'm sure there have been people who have hide themselves to a lawn chair and just put a bunch of helium balloons on the lawn chair and tried to get up uh, and yeah, how did shoot they... it with a BB gun to come down. I, I'm sure there that's happened. Um, I don't know. I don't know of any specific examples of that, but I'm sure I'm sure people have done it because, you know, you think about what is, is that a Pixar movie up? Is, is that a mm-hmm. Pixar movie? Yeah. Where they uh, just, yeah. He just they has promoted balloons flying out of his house. <laughs> surely. Yeah. Surely. So I'm sure. I'm yeah. sure someone's thought to do it. But What know. would happen if you did do that and you didn't have a BB gun? Would like you just go up go? and die? Like, or, Yeah. Or like where the balloons eventually. <laughs> so like you, You'd go up and pass out <laughs> and then wake yourself up. Right. Conscious. No, no. You go. You right. go up and pass out. So the the highest point that a helium balloon can get to. And this is if nothing else goes wrong. Like it doesn't hit anything. Um, wind can be a factor. If nothing goes wrong, I think the highest it can go is um, 32 kilometers because that is uh, uh, where the atmosphere, that, that's the point at which the atmosphere surrounding the balloon 
is the same weight as helium, thus can exist at the same time and the balloon pops. Um, so that's like the line somewhere around 32 kilometers, which is upwards of 20 miles, 20, something like that miles. So eventually all the, in the, in the 1% chance that nothing else happened and you go up to 32 kilometers, yeah. you're unconscious mm-hmm. and then all the balloons pop and you drop. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to know how it ends. <laughs> that's how it ends. That, that, that's it. I mean, still an achievement. I got to say that's 30. That's high up there. It's pretty. It's pretty high. I mean, again, it's that's that's with nothing else taken into effect. Again, I think, given so, if you if you this is me geeking out for a minute, but if you imagine all those balloons tied to a chair with a person in it, I think that's just the strain alone from the string pulling on that balloon will make it pop way earlier than that thirty-two kilometers that I mentioned. So mm. you you probably right. get up there. My and hope is that one or two stuff. would pop, and then you'd start to come back down. Slow, yeah. slowly down. Best You're still case scenario. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't get to experience like it, but that. hopefully someone's filming, I guess. I'm surprised I'm genuinely surprised yeah. no one has tried to kill James Bond that way. <laughs> Tell that balloons. to my balloons, Mr. Bond. <laughs> it's the most like slow, boring action sequence in James Bond is just slowly <laughs> slowly going up. I'm Dr. Helio. <laughs> Ugh, they, well, Charlie. they have to have like a lame name. It was just like the first thing they thought of, and like, that goes in the <laughs> yeah. movie. Okay, yeah. uh, Okay, so you reminded me they they mentioned this thing called the Armstrong Line. I don't know if that's yeah. what is similar to this thirty-two kilometers point or not, but they mentioned that there's like extreme pressure up there, and that your saliva boils at this point. The goal is to get to the edge of space, sixty-three thousand feet. It's called the Armstrong line or the Armstrong limit. That's the point at which there's so little pressure holding your body together, it's lethal. The idea around it is the atmospheric pressure is approximately 6.3 um, kilopascals. And that is the boiling point. That is where the boiling point for water equals the normal human body temperature, which is usually like 37 degrees Celsius. And as we know, uh, humans are roughly 60% water. So... <laughs> you're boiling Whoa. you're 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 boiling up there um and that's that's all based on um pressure so hold on a second when you're telling me when we get to sixty thousand feet in the air all the water in our body boils yes oh no what so water boils and you just happen to be majority water so yes <laughs> yeah so freaking we boil so yeah you boil man that's uh and i don't I, and I don't know i don't know I don't know if it's instant. I don't know if it's like a slow boil, like a slow rolling boil, like I'm about to make pasta, or if it's like an instant, like flash boil. I don't, <laughs> I don't know which boil it is, but, but I know, I know you start boiling. And I mean, how do we avoid? Because I mean, if if we're going to space or whatnot, how do you avoid the boil? Space how do you suits. sidestep that. Otherwise, you don't go space suit. Okay. And not your TJ Maxx space suit. Yeah, you're back to the pressure cooker. Okay. Bring me all really... Amazon's pressure cookers. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah if i knew that that was the risk i guess i'd want like a really expensive uh properly tested suit as well oh, that's def- really oh, scary definitely. and i also wanted to mention hypoxia in using these suits the dangers are real at twenty-five thousand feet if i found that my suits were failing first off there's not enough oxygen to breathe so you become hypoxic they mentioned this mm-hmm. when he's up in that plane too that like it's and this sounds like a james bond 
death actually dana where like yeah. it's painless and the victim is completely unaware that they're getting hypoxia well supposedly when you um <laughs> i don't i don't really like travel on these <laughs> didn't want this to be the expert i don't want to be thought of as the guy that knows of cool ways to die but uh <laughs> supposedly when you die of hypothermia you get wonderfully warm first oh and then and then you uh, is, it, is so that just like your it's brain con- counterintuitive? Your brain's just like freaking out, or why does that happen? Uh, Kenny, I bet Kenny knows. Okay, great. I don't. <laughs> I, well, I think I think it's that I uh, I think it's that all the yeah I think all the blood re- re- uh, retreats from your extremities. Oh, okay. uh, so you it's all around your heart. You feel real warm. Yeah, yeah. You're that trying. Your right. body's trying think... everything it can do. Yeah. Exactly. That's... Yeah. Yeah, that sounds right. I think from the from the um, perspective of hypoxia, you are because because when your cells in your brain start to die, or they they start yeah when you lose oxygen and your brain cells start to die, I think it takes um, on the low end like thirty seconds, on the high end a minute and a half to lose consciousness, and then when you lose consciousness, it's just slowly going further and further into brain death. Uh, where on average, I think I think the longest is like ten minutes, and then you're absolutely brain dead. Um, wow. And then the low end again, that's five minutes. So again, you've you've got like a, a three minute margin there to to live or die, and you probably don't you you don't notice because you're unconscious. And I'm pretty I'm pretty sure that's why you wouldn't notice because you're unconscious. And full circle, can't bring yourself out of it. <laughs> uh, and just to. Uh, a point worth pointing out. Um, hypoxia is the name of Dr. Helio's sexy female henchwoman. <laughs> oh, man. That's so good. Almost got me. Hello, Hypoxia. My name is James. <laughs> Hello, Mr. Bond. Charming. Have you, have you met my assistant time, Bugsia? <laughs> Um, okay, that's great. Um, listen, I, I'm going to watch the rest of this series and just uh, compile a bunch of questions uh, for both of you because obviously, Dana, you're now that's our resident cool way to die expert. <laughs> I appreciate that. Exactly. Um, so, Dana, uh, obviously, people should be listening to your podcast, The Dana Gould Hour. Is there yeah. something else you want to tell people about or where they can find you? The Dana Gould Hour is my podcast and uh, uh, DanaGould.com. If you want to see me uh, once comedy clubs reopen, I'll probably still be going out there. I have a film coming out soon with uh, called Joyride. Ooh. With uh, comedian uh, Bobcat Goldthwait. It's a sort of a performance film documentary uh, wow. of the two of us. Cool. Yeah. Okay. You know when that's coming out? I can keep a look. Uh, October. 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 Excellent. Yeah. Okay. The spookiest time to release a movie. <laughs> yes. Ex- yes. <laughs> it's very scary. <laughs> if you're scared of comedy. That's an interesting. We we did a we did a tour just before. Well, the, we we went to do it. I'll tell you this very briefly. Yeah, yeah. We went to we toured together. Cool. Uh, and we went on stage together, but we each performed our own acts. Like I, we we know each other's repertoire, and we would talk, and then I would say, we'd get to a subject where Bob had a piece, and he would literally step forward and do it, and then and then I would step forward and go back. So we did this for a while. We had a lot of fun. The audiences really liked it. Uh, so we went to film it as a special, and as we were literally pulling into the theater to film the special, we got T-boned, uh, ended up in the hospital. Oh, my God. Couldn't film the special. Uh, so then um, 
We were, yeah, we literally broke our ribs on each other, which is the is like the origin story of a superhero. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, yeah, it was like because the the tour was called the show with two heads, and it was literally as if we were trying to merge into one super comedian. Um, oh, Lord. And then wow. we ended up uh, we recovered. Yeah, we recovered from that, and then uh, went out on uh, and uh, did it on tour and. Uh, it was literally right before the pandemic. We did it in February of 2020. And uh, that was, uh, so uh, it's coming out. And the interesting thing is Bob is one of my best friends and we used to hate each other. So uh, it's a very story. interesting story. There's a, there's a lot of, yeah, there's, it's a, it's a, it's a bromance. There's a lot of stuff of us in the car talking about how we used to not like each other. I mean, I feel like I need a summation of that. Why did you guys hate each other? Gosh, I'm sorry to bore you with these no, stories. Uh, Bob, Bob was comedian. Lived, Bob was comedian. Lived in Boston, and he had these roommates. Uh, uh, Tom Kenny, who is the voice of now famous as the voice of SpongeBob SquarePants, um, Dan Spencer, our other uh, friend, and uh, you know they all like the same kind of movies. The same, you know, they all like punk music and you know Plan Nine from Outer Space, and we all like the same kind of dorky stuff. Well, then Bob moved to San Francisco. And I moved to Boston and ended up sort of taking his place. I was sort of like the second Darren on Bewitched. Uh, I lived there. I I like the same music. I like the same stuff. And then when Bob came back, it's like, who's this guy? You know, I was like the second husband. And so we just innately we were we were too similar to to be friends, wow. you know. And then literally ten or twelve years later, we were both performing on a show. And, uh, you know, we were and then literally after the show, we just kind of looked at each other. And we was like, this is stupid. We should be friends. <laughs> How dumb is it that we hate each other for being similar and liking all the same shit? Yeah, no, it's really true. And then we became but it was one of those things like we then we were really good. For, you know, then we were like really close. Nice. Um, so it's a really it's a very, very interesting story. And, uh, you know, it's there's worse things you can do with an hour and a half. Yeah, definitely. OK, Joyride, right? That's what it's called. Joyride, yeah. Fantastic. Okay, be on the lookout for that. If you get the chance to, to see Dana, I highly recommend it. He is the best. Um, or the cooties. Oh, sure. If you get the chance to see the cooties, come on out. Uh, maybe <laughs> Dana and the cooties will do a... Yeah, there you go. We'll do well, that, we get, this, could be the, this could be the sequel. <laughs> the sequel where we get smashed by a truck. <laughs> Yeah. Um, no, thank you so much, Dana. It's a delight talking to you. And, and uh, Kenny, uh, anything you'd like to, to tell people about? Yeah, um, I mean, you can you can find me on Instagram, Kenny F. Harris, if you want to look me up, www.kennyfharris. Um, and I, I mean, I love speaking at like conferences and at, at like colleges and things like that. I'm really big on um, education, specifically when it comes to STEM. Uh, and, you know, it's been a pleasure to talk to you all. Not not a whole lot, whole lot left to share. Just, um, you know, reach out if you ever want advice on STEM or anything like that. Kenny, are you in D.C. or are you in... Uh, out so, here at JPL, or I'm in, I'm in the suburbs of Maryland, so right okay, outside. Okay, so you but you work out of and you work out of DC. I work in Greenbelt, basically. which is basically so. Right. Yeah. Well, as opposed to Cape mm. Canaveral or something. That's correct. <laughs> That's correct. Okay. Well, I do thank you both, and um, and Kenny, yeah. just to confirm this real quick, since your whole uh, TEDx talk was about yeah. mentorship, you know, I'm lucky and grateful enough to have a, a couple great mentors. Um, but I assume now that we've spoken, that you'll be one, and we can do daily phone calls when I get exactly. up in the morning, where you exactly. inspire me. Exactly. To, you know, I'm up at like dreams. 3 a.m., which is basically midnight okay. for you because I don't sleep because the kid. <laughs> so there we go. Anytime. Anytime, man. You know what? Cancel <laughs> Anytime, it. Cancel man. it. 
cancel it. <laughs> well, is, it is this your is this your first? This is this is my first, and the way it's tracking is oh. going to be my last. What a headache! No, I'm just kidding. He, he is. No, you forget. You forget. Life. You. Literally, I, I have yes, I have three, and uh, you. Oh, okay. uh, and and then and then yeah and then one day they go to uh, Berkeley and become scientists. So good yeah. for you. <laughs> wow. Okay. Awesome. Uh, thank you both so much. I, I deeply appreciate it. And uh, I'll talk to you Very soon. Much. This is great. Thanks for having me. The good, the bad, the science, credits, credits, credits. Hosted and produced by Ethan Burke. Executive producer, Brett Kushner. Supervising producer, Emily Feld. Producer, Darby Rose. Editor, Michael Feld. Talent Booker, Samantha Barella. Post coordinator, Jason McKenzie. And research PA, Ali Rubenstein. Bye bye.